that, let's move in to, I'm talking about the power of our words. And, uh, and this has been a message, it's something that God's really put on my heart. Hey, love, Christy, can you throw me that water? Otherwise, I'm going to be like really dry. Thanks. Uh, so this is a word that, that I felt like back early March that he started to, started to put on my heart. And so I get to deliver this now, and I just pray that, um, that God actually delivers everything that he wants to deliver. But I want to first say that I am just so encouraged by all of you. Uh, where God is taking things, what's happening. There's been some shifts going on, and, uh, and what I'm seeing is this, that there is such a desire for worship in this place. There's such a desire for the presence of God in this place, and I'm also seeing just this hunger for his word and for greater revelation. And I am so honored and blessed uh, just to be part of, of a group of, of believers, of people that are going after it, that are really just saying, hey, we're going to lay it all down and we're going to go after him. We've, I was talking to somebody earlier and it was like, yeah, we tried it my way. We tried it my wife's way. Neither of them worked. And so now we're going to try it God's way. And I was like, that's it. And I think that's what we're looking for is just like that we would get to the place where we go, God's the only way. And we're going to go after him in every area of our life. It's not just like on Sundays where we do this. but And this is what I'm seeing in you guys. It's, it's awesome that there is actually a transformation happening. And the transformation comes out of the renewing of our minds. That's how we are transformed. And, uh, and once we get to that point where we're, that transformation begins to happen, we begin to understand who we are in Christ. And you guys are understanding who you are in Christ. And once we understand who we are in Christ, then we understand what to do. And until we understand who we are, we can't understand what to do. And so I feel like we're in this like place of, and there's this excitement of, well, what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, let's just wait and see. But in the meantime, let's find out who we are. Let's keep digging into that. So that's what we're doing. And here's what I would say is we're no longer going to be the thermometers that go into, the, into areas and say, ooh, here's the temperature. But we're going to now be the thermostats that go in and actually change the temperature. And that's what I believe we're called to do is go into areas and actually transform those areas. When we go into dark places, we don't go, ooh, this is scary. We say, no, 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 I'm bringing the light and I'm transforming this area and I'm changing the temperature in that area, right? And that's who we are. That's who you guys are, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, I pray today for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be poured out on every person in this place and watching online as well. Lord, I thank you that you are gonna give us this understanding of our authority that we walk in, and Lord, that we will actually understand the power of our words as well, in Jesus' name. Release it, <laughs> amen. So last week, we talked about faith and trust, and this idea that, that it's actually out of that place of putting our faith and trust in the Lord, that there are blessings that are released in that. Like the Lord loves us all unconditionally, but, but the blessings actually come when we actually place our trust in him. And so I'm going to take this a step further now as we talk about our words. Our words are actually the fruit of this trust or of our hearts. It's, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And then out of that, so now we have this heart position. Now as we begin to speak these words, these words are powerful. And what they do is they enact God's plans on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's the prayer. So what we have the power to do is when we understand the Lord, when we understand as we trust in him, our heart position changes, and now when we speak, we speak with power, and we actually enact the plans of God on this earth. We actually speak from a place of spiritual reality into a place of natural reality. And I'll explain that as we, just, as we get into it here. So the power of our words. Uh, first of all, we gotta understand what is this power and what do we have here? So in the beginning, what happened? You guys read your Bibles? Come on. <laughs> God created the heavens and the earth, right? How did he do it? He says, he says, let there be light. And what he did is he began to set in motion the creation of the universe. And he did it with his words. He said, let there be light. And he spoke into existence something that was not in existence. In Hebrews 11.3, this explains it very well. 
And it says this. And I'm going to be using the Passion Version. So as you open your Bibles and you're like, that's not what it says. I'm reading from the Passion. uh, So you can follow along. It'll be up on the screen uh, in the Passion Version. But but take some notes too. You've got to go back and study this stuff. Don't just take what I say as, as truth. It's your job to actually take it and get it in your hearts and say, Lord, reveal to me your truths in this. Right? So Hebrews 11.3 says, Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. That's pretty cool. By the power of God's words. And then this is even more cool. It says, he spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to that which is seen. So as he spoke, it it is that spiritual realm that that we don't see that actually gave birth to the realm that we do see, out of just his words. So are words powerful? Yeah. When, let me ask you this. You ever had somebody speak a word of encouragement over you? And it like just encourages you, it lifts you up, and you're like, oh, that was, that was really nice. Have you ever had somebody speak uh, just a, a word over you that just kind of cut you down, hit you at the knees, and like took you out? These words are powerful. Words are so powerful. It's not just like by coincidence that those things actually like hit you hard. Our words have life and death in them. It's in the power of the tongue. So we were created. We're created in the likeness, the image of God. And so we have the power in our words. It's it's like when Jesus would speak, when he said to Lazarus, when he was on this earth, he walked in this and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he spoke in a situation where somebody was dead, he spoke life. So when he says life and death is in the power of tongue, that's the literal version right there. Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Spoke life into him and he comes forth. Right? Jesus says, I tell you, if anyone says to the mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. It's when we speak to the mountains. We have that power when we speak. And Jesus says, greater things will we do than he's done. Greater things. So, and he did a lot. He did a lot of amazing things. But he says that greater things will we do. This comes, we have to begin to understand the power in our words and that what our words can create. And also what our words can destroy. And we have to be very careful with that. I was telling the last uh, group in here that I I said, you know, if you're going to practice this word about the mountains, I appreciate it if you don't use the Rocky Mountains because I really like them. So you can go somewhere else and cast those mountains into the sea, but please leave these mountains here. They are great mountains. We love them. <laughs> uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. In the Passion Version, it says, your words are so powerful that they will kill and they will give life. So Here's another, I'll just leave that there. You've, you've heard that many times. But James 3, 3 through 5, James says it very well as well. And this is just trying to give you guys this understanding of the power of our tongue. But it says, horses have bits and bridles in their mouth so that they can, uh, you can control and guide their large bodies. A horse weighs anywhere from, a full-grown horse can weigh in from like 800 pounds to like 2,200 pounds. That's a big animal. And if you try to control a horse by like pushing it from behind or from the side or something, if you have horses, you know that's probably not a good idea, right? You can shove them with all the force you have. Or you can put this bit in the bridle in and just, just pull a little bit this way or pull a little bit that way. And it's amazing that it moves the horse. In the same way, it says, uh, a mighty ship, though they're massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny little rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so he says, and so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. So here's the thing. If we realize what this tongue has, we have to be so careful how we use it, right? I forget again, I was saying in the last service, the, you know the guy on Marvel that he has, when he pulls his glasses off, like, he, what's his, cyclo- Cyclops, Cyclops. I, this is what I feel like we do sometimes, is we don't know the power of our words. And so we've got this, this guard over our mouth, and then what we do is we're like, huh. they're like, 
And we're just like wiping people out, looking around, and then we're like, put our glasses back on and kind of walk off, and everything's like devastated. This is sometimes what happens when we speak our words and we really don't know what we're doing, is we're literally, we're just taking the glasses off and just blowing things up, putting them back on and walking off. And we think, oh, that wasn't too bad. And everybody else is like on their face and blown up and things are burning and, right? Because if you guys have seen that, you get that picture, right? Uh, so this is, this is where we have to be so careful with our words. Proverbs 18.12 says it very well. It says, reckless or careless words are like the thrusts of a sword, cutting remarks meant to stab and hurt. You ever felt that? Ever felt those words? It says, but the words of the wise soothe and heal. So there is life and there is death. We have the power to do either. We need to choose life. Okay, good message. You guys get to go home now. <laughs> uh, here's the thing too I want to say a lot of times we just focus on our actual words that we speak but it is so important that we understand that when we write an email or when we text or when we have a Facebook rant at 10 o'clock at night uh, or, or we do some online review or we have a blog or something like that these are our words and they can cut so deep. We have to be so careful. When we hit send, it doesn't just go to another computer. It actually goes to a person. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> it actually goes to a person. And they, they take that. And those words can either speak life or they can speak death. And here's the thing. Is every person that on this planet has a plan from the Lord. And we either get to partner with it or we get to come against it. We either, when we speak, when we speak words or when we write emails, when we send texts, when we do these things, we are either partnering with the plans of the Lord or we are undermining the plans of the Lord. We're doing one or the other, whether we like it or not. The question is, what do we want to do? And I know the answer is, of course we want to go after it. At least I hope, right? Is that the answer? Yeah, we want to go at, we do want to go after this. We want to do things right. A lot of it is just our understanding. We need to have this greater understanding of what we are doing when we do this and the power of these words. So, uh, careless words, I, this is what I, kind of my definition, is it's speaking things out that are not God's truth. That's careless words. It's speaking on truth. And, uh, and it comes out of the heart. It's, it's a heart issue, or actually it comes out of a place of unbelief, which is a lack of knowledge and understanding in the character of God. So when we don't have that understanding, we begin to speak things out because we're not, we're not in alignment with what God's plans are. So let me ask you a quick question. How many of you have ever spoken a careless word? Can you raise your hand? Okay. The rest of you, um, we've got this message next week about telling the truth. It's going to be really good for you. I'd encourage you to be there. <laughs> no, we have, we've all spoken a careless word, right? Every one of us in our life, we've spoken careless words. Uh, and, and that's okay. <laughs> but now we're coming to a place where we need to understand those things. And, and let me say this. this. This is kind of a sobering thought. In Matthew 12, 36, it says this. I think we have it. There we go. Uh, you can be sure of this. So can we be sure of it? When the day of judgment comes, everyone will be held accountable for every careless word he has spoken. That's a strong word. That, that has kind of the fear of the Lord. You're like, ooh, everything that I've said, every careless word that I've said, yes, that's what it says, every careless word. So there is an accountability to our words that we need to be aware of. Uh, and, and I think this will help us to begin to walk in a place where we don't just carelessly throw our words around. And it's interesting, in the Aramaic translation, that word, uh, careless, is, uh, careless word is an untrue word. So when we speak an untrue word, something that doesn't carry God's truths, that's a careless word in our life. Uh, there's a wise theologian that when I was a young boy, I, uh, these words hit very deep in my heart. And so I found the clip 
of when I was young and, and I thought I would just play this for you. This might bring back some memories as well. Um, so this was actually, the person who spoke this, it was his father that he was, he, was, uh, he was saying how these words. And so these words are so powerful. So why don't you watch, just watch this clip real quick. He doesn't walk very good, does he? Jumper? <laughs> yes, Mama. What did your father tell you this morning? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. You guys remember that? <laughs> you know, those little things, but they, it is so true. If we can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Just keep your mouth quiet. It's that simple. Uh, Actually, a better way maybe to put it, uh, I don't know if Thumper would say it this way, but if we're not partnering with the plans of the Lord over someone's life, then quiet your mouth. <laughs> Just stay quiet. I'll, I'll, a quick example of this is uh, in Luke 1, Gabriel, who's the archangel, he comes down, and this is right when Jesus is about to come on the scene, and, uh, and he goes to Zechariah, so the angel Gabriel goes to Zechariah and he says, you're going to have a son. And his name is going to be John. And John, he's called John the Baptist, he's going to be the one, he's going to be the forerunner for Jesus. And so things are about to be set in motion here. And, and, and uh, Zechariah, he's a priest, he's a man of God, and he's the one who's selected to do this. And so what happens? Zechariah goes to the angel, which I kind of, I go, Really? This is the angel Gabriel right in front of you. It's been 400 years since an angel showed up, over 400 years. And the first angel to show up is Gabriel going to Zechariah. And so as he goes to Zechariah and he says these words, Zechariah comes back with unbelief in his heart, even though he's a man of God and he's a priest in the temple, he says, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> he says, my wife and I are old. Can you give me a sign? The angel comes back, angel Gabriel, and he says... Well, I see your unbelief. We've got a problem with that because if you speak, you can actually thwart the plans of the Lord. And, and we're not going to let that happen. So yes, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to actually mute you for the next nine months. And that's what he does. He puts him on mute for nine months and he says, look, you're going to get your heart right. In those nine months, I'm going to give you nine months to get your heart right. And then you're going to see your son and you're going to name him John. And uh, sure enough, that's what he does. And Zechariah gets to praise the Lord, and he has a son, and they, they move forward. But it, for nine months, he kept him quiet. Why? Because his words are powerful. And if he has unbelief in his heart and he begins to speak these things, this could cause some problems with God's plans. And so out of the mercy of the Lord, he quiets him. So here's what I would say. As God is, is working in your life and as he, there are plans in your life, be careful to ask him for a sign. Because <laughs> you might get muted for a few months. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, so if you go to James 3.2, it says this. Let me just say, we're going we're gonna to mess up with this. And so this is not about we all live this holy life and perfectly do this together, uh, we will mess up. And this is what James says. He says, we all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. So he knows it. He's telling us, hey, guys, you're going to mess up here. Uh, so it's okay. Why is it okay? We talked about it last week. We have the grace of God. We have this grace that actually is able to get us out of these things, to overcome these failures. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, by his grace, that we're able to overcome these things. Not that it gives us the liberty to walk in those things and to continue to do those things, but to, to overcome them. That's the grace that we have of the Lord, and it's awesome. So it goes on to say, yet, if we are able to, to bridle the words that we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. This is the place that we're trying to go to. We're trying to get to the point where we are being transformed into his likeness, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. We are being transformed into his likeness. As we behold his glory, 
with ever-increasing glory for the glory of God, who is the Spirit. But in that, there's that maturity that we're building, that we're growing into. We're not there yet. So it's okay, but we still need to move in that direction. So now, when we understand that, now we've got to understand when we speak these words, there's actually a root to those words. It's actually tied down. It's tied back to something. It didn't just come out. Those words just didn't come out of air. We didn't just think them up and, and they popped right out. They actually go back to a source. And they're rooted in our hearts. It's rooted and grounded in our hearts. And so uh, I think when things are going well, when, when life is good, we're able to control those things for the most part, right? We're able to control our words. And, but it's when something kind of like when things get a little tense, something happens, that all of a sudden... Uh, those words can get out of control, that we kind of, we lose that uh, ability to, to control the situation. I was with Todd White this past summer, and uh, he, he used this great example. We were up in Denver, and he was, he was talking about, uh, he says this, he says, if you squeeze an orange, what do you get? Good. You guys are good. <laughs> if you squeeze an apple, what do you get? And then if you squeeze a Christian, what do you get? Oh boy, you guys, you guys got the orange, you got the apple. Well, my wife, as we were talking about it last night, I said this to her, I was saying this, and, and I go, so when you, see, when you squeeze a Christian, what do you get? She goes, poop. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Unfortunately, you, we do get that poop every once in a while when we squeeze a Christian. Like, oh, that's not what we wanted. Uh, what we're supposed to get out is this love, the love of the Father, the love of Jesus. We're supposed to, uh, it's supposed to come back with blessings, but we don't always do that, right? I don't know, maybe you guys do. I, I should just say, I don't always do that. Uh, in Matthew 12, 33 through 35, Jesus makes this comparison. He's comparing the tree to our heart, and he compares fruit to our words. And he says, make a good tree, or I'm sorry, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is recognized by its fruit. Now you can replace that with, with heart and words. Make a heart good, and its words will be good. Make a heart bad, and its words will be bad. For a heart is recognized by its words. Goes right on to say right after that, it says, For out of the overflow of the mouth the heart speaks. It says a good man brings good things out of the th good things that are stored up in him or stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So here's the deal. When, when we have something in our heart, when, when we're looking, when we're trying to find that place where our heart is, there could be that rotten stuff in there. How do we determine when it's rotten? By the fruit, Right? So when the fruit's released, when we get that fruit, that's the red flag. We're like, oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, that came out. There's something wrong here. There's, a, there's something rotten down here that I need to deal with. I got to go back to the source, and I need to deal with the heart. You know, we, had a, we moved to Houston in, in 2011, and, and um, we've never had a pool before. But when we moved down there, it was like, we have to have a pool. I don't know if you've been to Houston, but it's hot. And if you don't have a pool, you melt. And so we, we got this, we got a pool, and, you know, everyone in Houston has a pool. You come here to Colorado, how many people have pools? <laughs> You've got your community pools, and, every, you know, there's a few people, but, but you just don't know what we're doing here with pools. Uh, down there, everybody knows what they're doing, and we got down there, and we're like, well, we're not going to pay for somebody to, to manage our pool or to, to keep it in, in shape. We can do this on our own. We can figure this out, read some, you know, go on YouTube, figure it out. So... So what we quickly figured out is that we didn't know what we were doing, and we, would, we had this pool, and it would look great one day. It would look fantastic, and the kids are out swimming in it, and we'd wake up the next day, and it would be green. The entire pool would be green. We're like, uh, kids, <laughs> I don't think we're going to swim in it today. <laughs> and then we're looking at trying to figure out what to do. Now we have to shock this pool. What happens is when the pH, what we found out, when the pH gets out of a certain range, this is when the algae blooms happen. And so you get this green stuff, and it's not good when the green stuff's there and your kids are swimming in it. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. So then you got to go in and you got to shock the pool. You put in the chlorine, and, uh, 
and, and kill everything and try to get this thing back in alignment. But you, now you can't use the pool for like the next 24 to 48 hours. If you do, your kids come out glowing, which is not a good thing either. Uh, so, so, you, so you have to, you have to treat the pool, and then what you have to do is you have to maintain it. You have to check it every so often, and, which is pretty often, uh, to make sure that the pH was in a certain range. And if it's not, you need to make the adjustments. If you don't do it, you get these algae blooms. And it's, it's the same way with our heart. It's a, it's a constant test that we have to do. We have to c- continually test our heart to make sure that it's in the right place. And what can happen if we don't test our heart, it can get hardened, and then we get the algae blooms. And those are the words that come out. And it's like, oh, that is so bad. And then we have to shock it, which I won't get into. So uh, here's the thing. You know, in my life, I would say, this is where I find out where I have areas to work on in my life. And it rarely happens. <laughs> okay, it happens a lot. <laughs> There's always times when I'm like, oh, that's an area of my heart that I need to adjust. It's that red flag. It's that flag that goes, yeah, you need to, you need to do something there. You need to make that adjustment in your heart. And so here's what we have to do. We have a choice right there. We can either walk in humility and say, Lord, I'm going to put my dependence on you, or we can walk in pride. We can try to justify it and say, okay, I'm right about this because, you know, Christy said this, my wife said this to me, so I had every right to come back and say that to her. That would be that justification. You know, when, when Jesus walked on this earth, he never said he was right. He never proved, tried to prove that he was right. What he tried to do is prove that he was righteous. And that's what we're called to do. We're, proved, we're told to prove that we are righteous, not right. And there's a big difference between right and righteous. But we're righteous in him, and that righteousness in him actually comes through humility, getting our hearts right before the Lord. So, this is where we purify our heart. There's some scriptures I'm going to just throw up here. Uh, This first one, Psalm 139, is one that I stand on all the time. Christy and I were talking about it. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If there is any, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. These are the prayers. This is a prayer of David. And it's, it's those prayers that we can pray to say, Lord, test our hearts. Marcus and I were talking about this. And this next one, he would, said he would get up every morning and just pray this over his life. Pray this over his mouth. He'd say, Lord, just put a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And it's, it's so easy for us to begin to speak out these words that have so much power in them and they can speak death into situations. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to speak life. And so these are just some great scripture verses. And every one of them, you can see the, the connection between the heart and the mouth. The heart and the mouth. And Psalm 17.3 says, I have, uh, You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart. In the night I am determined not to sin in what I say. So these are great scriptures just to, to go after uh, that we just set our hearts and say, Lord, put a guard, put a guard on our heart and, our, and on our mouth right now. Uh, okay, so more importantly, though, than even than taming the tongue and, and putting the bridle on and, and protecting it, I don't think this needs to be the focus. It's important that we have an understanding of this and that we walk in that, but I think the focus needs to be on the positive side. We don't, we don't look at what we shouldn't do. Let's look at what we actually need to do. And here's the thing. It says life and death. And so, yes, we don't want to speak words of death, but we have the opportunity in this time, in our lifetime, to speak life into people's lives, to speak encouragement into people's lives. And this is what I want us to get into right now. I just, I want us to understand that we have the ability to speak life into other people's lives. And that life is actually coming alongside them and saying, yes, I agree with the plans of the Lord over their life, and I'm going to speak those into their life, and we're going to see things shift in their life. It's easy for us, it takes seconds for us to do this. We can walk by someone and just say, hey, you know what, I've, can I just say something over you? Like, I, this is what I see about who you are. And that can shift someone's trajectory for the rest of their life. One simple word. Yet, I think sometimes we just, I, don't, I think if we understood this power that we had 
and this, as we can speak these words of encouragement, that we can actually impact people's lives around us. And it starts with our own family. We can do it with our own family. Uh, and that's where we should start this, this whole thing. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I want to read this scripture in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. It says, now this is the goal, to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness towards other believers. So this is what we're called to do. This is the goal. We walk in, in unity and we demonstrate this love, this kindness towards other believers. He says, it says, let humility, not pride, describe who you are as you dearly love one another. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly or insults those that insult you or insult those that, who insult you. But instead, respond by speaking a blessing over them. It's easier said than done, right? When somebody retaliates and does something against you, what is God calling us to do? To turn, to turn the tables, to not respond with the same thing that they responded with, but to actually speak blessing over their life. You know, it's the 1 Corinthians 13 that says that love has no record of wrong. It's the countercultural side of this that we go, what? That makes absolutely no sense. Why would I speak a blessing over someone that's retaliating against me? Because this is the Lord's plan for our life. And as we do this, without our understanding, but when we obey the Lord in these things, he's the creator. He's our creator, right? I think he knows better than we do what's important for us to do in our life. And as we walk in these ways, there's great blessings for us. There's a great blessing for us. This isn't just to bless others. There's a blessing that comes back and is returned on us. But here's the thing we need to do. We need to partner with the Lord in these things in every area and begin to speak life into other people. There is a huge deficit of encouragement in the world today. It's huge. There are people that are literally starving for this love and for this encouragement. It's, it's sad. And uh, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, when you actually do speak to someone and you give them a word of encouragement, it's, it's like water on a dry sponge. They're like, ooh, that was awesome. Can you give me more? They're like, all of a sudden, you've got a new best friend. Literally, you don't even have to know them. You speak one word of encouragement, and they're like your best buddy. There's something in that because there's power in those words that you say as you encourage other people. Ephesians 4.29 says, never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. So we are called to speak these beautiful gifts into people's lives. Benny Leapshire, I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's, uh, he was at Bethel and then now he's in Sacramento with Jesus Culture. And uh, he was telling the story of these teenagers they used to do this thing when he was back in Bethel where he would, uh, the teenagers would come in and they would do this, uh, they call it like treasure hunts or the prophetic, they'd get prophetic words and they'd go out and God would show them something and then they'd go out and find those people and uh, pray for them. And so there was a team that came in, they had this conference going on, there's some teenagers that came in from out of town and one of the guys had this picture of a baseball field and of a cane. And so they dropped him off in the city and they found this baseball field and they looked down and they found this guy who was a homeless guy and he had a cane. And they're like, oh, there's our guy. And these are teenagers. So, you know, they're like running over to him and they're like, hey, they find out what happened. And I guess 15 years ago, he was in a motorcycle accident and the doctors said, you'll never walk without a cane again. Like, you've been, you're pretty well damaged here. And so uh, they're like, hey, can we pray for you? And the guy said, nope, don't need your prayers. <laughs> now at that point, I would be like, all right, well, that was good. Hey, bless you, man. We'll see you. <laughs> These teenagers, though, they were like, well, I'll tell you what, can we speak an encouraging word over you? <laughs> and they're like, he goes, okay, I guess you can do that. So they started to speak these words over him and just words of love and encouragement over him. And all of a sudden, his heart just opened up. And, and he was like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess you can pray for me. That'd be all right. And so... Again, this is what the Lord had showed them before they even got down there. So there's, you know there's something that's about to happen. They get the opportunity. They pray for him. He is completely healed in that moment and walks away with his cane over his shoulder. Here's the point is it took a word of encouragement and it began to open up his heart. 
It's a simple word of encouragement. Sometimes we go in and we try to like blast people with the Bible. All they need is some, a powerful word from you of just encouragement. And it's as simple as that. And it begins to just shift the atmosphere. It begins to open up people's hearts. Glory to God. Romans 15, 1 through 6. I'm just going to paraphrase this really quick. But you can go back and read this. But basically it's saying, it says, we, those who are mature in our faith, those are the ones that are strong in the Lord, we're not here to please ourselves. We're actually here to help others and build up others in the Lord. So this is who we are. This is what we're called to do. And it says, we, will use, we are to use Scripture to speak life and to give hope and encouragement and, and we bring trust as we trust in the promises of the Lord over other people's life that they will be fulfilled. This is what we are called to do. It's not about pleasing ourselves. It's about going after others. It's about coming into that agreement and speaking those words of life over, over other people. We have this amazing word right here that has promises in it. It has, uh, it has amazing, encouraging words that we can speak. So we always go, well, I, didn't, I don't get anything from the Lord. You've got this entire Bible that you can actually start with. Simple to start with that. Now, I believe there's also words the Lord will give you something. And it'll be, it could be something so simple. And it's just in that obedience you begin to say those things. And it's exactly what they needed to hear. We have our, our youth, we have an amazing youth department here. And on, if you know Wednesday night, <laughs> here we go, we have some of them in the room here, obviously. Uh, on Wednesday night, we've been seeing God just do something dramatic. It's, and so before, we had a youth, and they were all going after the Lord, seeking the Lord. And just recently, what we've seen is just, we've seen people coming in from the, the schools that would never step foot in church on a Sunday morning, but they're coming Wednesday night. And People are sp here are speaking life into them. And this is what we're called to be. We're not called to be a church that is like, hey, we're only bringing in the holy kids. Like, no, if, like, we want them all. We want everyone because we can speak life over them. Who's the ones that are going to actually see who they're called to be? We don't condone behavior, but what we do is we speak life into them to say, that might be what you're doing, but that's not who you are. This is who you are. You're an overcomer. You're a son or daughter of God. You are loved, and I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm going to come alongside you and see you be the person that you're supposed to be. When we begin to do that, everything changes. That's what we're called to do. And so we got to be real careful. When, when people come in and we label them immediately, we go, oh, those are the you know, those kids or whatever. No, those are not those kids. And we have to be so careful with our words, what we say. Because we have to be the ones that speak life into them and bring them into the calling. Because they're not getting it at home. They're not getting it at school. They're not getting it at work. They're not getting it anywhere else. This is where they're going to get it. And it's our job. It is our job. As it talks about in Romans 15, we're the mature ones in the faith that are going to say, we're going to come alongside you. We're going to build you up. We're going to lift you up in the faith. And we're going to believe for the promises that God has for your life, even when you don't. Can you play, I'm going to play this next video. There's a short, it's just a one minute video here of a father and a daughter. And I want you to see this here. Wow, this daughter lights up. And it's a father speaking over a daughter. And it's, anyway, just go ahead and play it. I'll let you see it. Look at yourself. Look in your eyes. You got to see it, okay? You got to feel it. You ready? You ready for school? Yeah. Is it going to be a good day? A really good day? You gonna be positive? Say, I am strong. I am strong. Say, I am smart. I am smart. Say, I work hard. I work hard. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am respectful. I am respectful. Yeah. <laughs> Say, I'm not better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone. Nobody's better than me. No one's better than me. I am amazing. I am amazing. I am great. I am great. What's your name? Aaliyah Austin. If you fall? I get back up. What are you? I'm blessed. Yes. Say thank you, God. Thank you, God. For making me. For making me. The greatest. The greatest. There's nobody. There's nobody. Better. 
better than me. Than me. All right, give me five. Give me this. Let's go. You think that those things change this girl's trajectory in who she is and her understanding of what she's going to do in life, what she's going to accomplish? And there's a new boldness. You even saw just from the beginning to the end of that, just like how something just kind of raised up on the inside of her. These are the words that are spoken over our lives that have power. And I want to encourage you, do this with your children. If you have children, it doesn't matter if they're 50 years old. Stand in front of the mirror with your children and do it with your children. <laughs> It'll be good. I'm telling you, it will be good. You begin to do this. You begin to speak life. It doesn't matter how old your kids are. Speak life into them now, and it'll begin to shift everything. Do it with your spouse. I need to do it with Christy more. I'm like, I need to do it with my kids more. I want to do it with you more. I want to speak life. I want to see who you are called to be, see the promises in your life, and begin to speak those out over you. And I want you guys to do the same, and I think it's going to shift everything. We're going to see things come alive in a greater way. I'm going to close with a quick, <laughs> with a story. You guys good? I feel like I, I still need to close with this. And this is, uh, this is a true story of something that happened with a teacher who learned the power of her words. And so just, just listen to this. And I think it's going to, you'll see. Uh, it was in the 1970s that I met a young man named Edward who stood a little over six feet tall with brown wavy hair, sad green eyes, and a mouth that never seemed to smile. He had enrolled in my music theory class at a California community college where I worked as a teacher. And the first day of class was always interesting as I watched the students mill around as they decided where to sit. The more confident ones would sit in the front row and the less confident ones would sit in the middle section. Then you had the back row, which was usually reserved for the shy students and those that just didn't want to be there in the first place. It was hard not to notice the only six-foot boy, Edward, as he walked into the classroom a few minutes late and positioned himself on the back row, slumped down in his chair and lowered his head with his arms folded across his chest in a defiant manner. This was his general entrance into class for the remainder of the semester. As weeks progressed and tests were given, Edward did not do well. He managed to turn in homework, which was marked well below his ability level by my notes, and he never participated in class discussions or offered any answers to questions. He missed many classes throughout the semester, and when he did come, he carried himself as though he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. To my knowledge, he had no friends at school, and sometimes during lunch, I would see him sitting in the grass under a tree, munching on a sandwich or staring into space. On occasion, I would allow myself to join him in the grass and see if I could start up a conversation. I had this gnawing feeling that I needed to know him better. But at the same time, I wanted to stay professional in my role as a teacher. Edward rarely talked to me or to anyone, and he would nod his head up and down or side to side with yeses and noes. One morning, as class was ending, a student filed out. Edward shot me a quick glance, and I swear I saw the beginnings of a smile appear. The more positive interest I showed in Edward, the greater his grades became. The semester was winding down and finals were about to begin and I was worried about Edward's reaction to his final grades. He was the last one to finish his final exam and as I waited, I said a silent prayer for him. I so much wanted to be able to give him a good grade. In those days, I had a reputation of being a strict but fair grading instructor, instructor and I also had the largest enrollment in the music department and so it was very important that I lived up to my reputation. Finally, Edward finished his exam and he looked completely worn out and defeated. I wished him good luck and I told him I'd give out the final grades on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Tuesday morning came and I sat in my office and was looking at the long line of students waiting to come in and receive their final grades. I allowed one person at a time to come in, take a seat, close the door, and prepare to be judged. After an hour or so, the line became shorter and I realized that there was no Edward. I began to worry. Did something happen to him at home? Was there an accident on the way to school? Was he sick? The last student in line met with me, received their grades, and left. Where was Edward? He wasn't coming. I decided to lock up my office and go home, but something within me continued to gnaw at me, and I felt sick to my stomach. My eyes filled with tears. What's wrong with me? I took some deep breaths. I sat back. I closed my eyes. 
In front of me lay the papers, the final exam for Edward. I had not decided what kind of a grade to give him. Well, it didn't matter as he didn't show up anyhow. I looked down at the exam with his name printed on it and I saw an imaginary D as his final grade. I got up from my chair, gathered my things, closed my office door behind me, and as I reached for my keys to lock my office door, I heard footsteps approaching. I held my breath, and as I turned to see, I saw Edward standing behind me. He apologized for being late and asked if I would, if, if he would give, or if I would give him the final exam and, and grade. I hesitated for a few seconds and then cautiously opened the door and asked him to have a seat. He looked just terrible. His eyes were sunk with dark black circles under them and the hollows of his cheeks were drawn and his swollen lips were cracked and had dried blood in the creases and his skin was pale and his hair was matted and he was wearing the same clothes that he had been wearing for weeks. <laughs> Would you like some water, I asked him. He replied, no thanks, and he sat trembling and then he spoke to me for the first time. I know that I've been getting a low grade on my final and I realize that I've not been participating in class and that I'm an embarrassment to others. I'm lazy, I'm selfish, stupid, and an ugly, no good for anything person. I have no place on this earth and what's more, no one can ever love me like a person should love me and I am hopeless, I'm a hopeless case with absolutely no future. I couldn't believe my ears. I wanted to interrupt him to convince him that he was none of these things, but instead I let him talk and I listened with my heart and not my head. I fought back my own tears to manifest my strength in professionalism. When he had finished, I faced him and I looked directly into his sad eyes and I said, Edward, your final grade is an A. His reaction was one of total and complete surprise. You're giving me an A, me? Why would you give me an A when I did such a poor job in class and on my assignments and on my final exam? Why would you do that? My answer to Edward was this. You may appear to be a D student, but you are an A person. I believe in you now and I will always believe in you. I am here for you now and I will always be here for you. Never, ever forget that. Now go and create the life you dream of. Believe in yourself, I will be watching. And by the way, Edward, I love you. In all my years of teaching, I have never graded a student this way. At 3 a.m. the next morning, the phone rang. In a fog, I tried to sound alert as I answered it, and the voice came over the phone and asked me if I were Edward's music theory teacher. I told him yes and waited. I'm a priest from Edward's church and I have something to tell you. I want to thank you on behalf of Edward's family and myself for saving his life today. The priest went on to explain to me the events leading up to this phone call. Edward has an older brother who had belittled and verbally abused Edward most of his life. The treatment had caused him to have severe low self-esteem. Edward thought of his brother as a hero and wanted to desperately please him. I'm not sure the role of his parents played, but I got the impression that they were wrapped up in their business and had little, if any time, for their boys. The day that Edward came to meet with me for his final grade, he had left a note on his pillow and it read this, I'm sorry that I could not be the kind of son and brother you wanted me to be. All I ever wanted was to be loved, and I'm sorry for being unlovable. I will go now, and I'm sorry for any inconvenience I have caused you. Edward wrote that note prior to meeting with me, and his plan was to see me one last time before taking his own life. When I gave him the A and told him that I believe in him, and that I loved him, and that I would be there for him, something changed within him. He had never heard those words before, and it gave him something that we call hope. He left my office feeling positive and uplifted for the first time in his life. He felt so good that he decided to take a long walk in the surrounding hills and relive the confirmation that he had just heard. He was loved. Yes, someone in his useless life loved him and believed him. He forgot all about his plan to take his own life. Meanwhile, his family had found the note. 
Oh, the power of spoken words. We never know, but what we say and the way we say it might completely change someone's life. Edward re-enrolled in my music theory class the next semester. He worked hard, tutored other students in the class, and this time he passed his final exam with 100% and got a genuine A+. Today, Edward has a beautiful wife and four sweet children. He's a successful dentist in Southern California and donates his spare time to abused children, helping them to find love, acceptance, and hope. Will you guys stand? I want to challenge you and encourage you this week. Begin to speak life into the people around you. I would encourage you with your families every day, Speak an encouraging word to them, to your children, to your spouse, to those around you. Begin to speak life into them because there's power in your words. Realize the power that you have in your words. Let's pray. Father, I ask right now that you would help us not to operate in a spirit of fear, but Lord, that we would operate with you in power love and in this in that instruction that you give us Lord, that we would be guided by you in everything that we do Lord, that we would release words that bring life that bring encouragement into people's lives into our families into the workplace into churches into the city into those around us lord i pray that these words would be encouraging to others that they would be transformational that they would be contagious Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you that you're transforming even our lives in this moment, that you're, you're shifting our mindset, that we would realize that these words have power. Lord, use us to bring life into a lost and a dying world. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here, that as I, as I say these words, Lord, there's the first choice that needs to be made. And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone that has not said, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and Savior. I receive you as my Lord and Savior, that this would be the day that that choice is made. Lord, I ask that you would capture that heart right now. And I pray that that person right now, whoever that is, wherever those people are, that they would say, I'm making the choice today to become a follower of Jesus, to become one that is a son or a daughter of the Most High, that I will proclaim you as my Lord and Savior and I will live a life for you. Lord, I thank you for every person here. I pray your blessing over everyone here as we go. May we be a light. May we share your love and may we speak life into people's lives and encouragement in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love you guys.